Welcome to the Rock Back Pages podcast. My name is Barney Hoskins, and I'm sitting here with my colleague Mark Pringle. Hello, Barney. Hello, Mark. We are going to be talking in this podcast about Nico, Bobby Womack, and everything that's new on Rock Back Pages this coming week. But first, it gives me enormous pleasure to be able to introduce and welcome. Amy Linden. Hello. I, I, I just flew in from Istanbul, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Amy, it's lovely to have you here. Uh, you've stopped by this office a couple of times yeah. in the past. Yeah. Um, we weren't even doing a podcast then. When we knew you were going to be in town, we had to have you, well, as, thank a, you. as a guest. Because, I always uh, enjoy coming by. Well, you're just great fun, and we always end up having great fun talking with you. So why don't we get rolling by asking you how you came to be a music writer in the first place? I mean, you are heavily associated with black American music of all stripes and hues. Let me rephrase Hughes, that. Hues, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Light skin, yeah, 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 yeah. high <laughs> yellow, yeah. people who are like biracial, yeah, all the hues. <laughs> I'll get me coach. Yeah, no. it's quite uh, that's definitely <laughs> staying that's in. Saying it. Huge corporation, everything. Yeah. Huge corporation. Yeah. I'm definitely getting me coach. Yeah. No, you have written a lot for magazines like you wrote for Vibe, you wrote yeah. for Source, you've Never written for so. Rolling Stone, you've written for New York Times, and you've written brilliantly about all kinds of great music. How did you come to be writing about music in the first place? Well, it's when I was a kid, I always liked music and I always liked to write. But when I was a kid in junior high and high school, I at our public library, I would sit there and just kill time in the library and I would read Cream and I would read all these old mm-hmm. rock magazines. And I just loved, I just thought they were really cool and I would read all this stuff like Charles M. Young and Jan Uhelski and all these people. Yeah. And who, when I found out was a girl, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is so cool, because I assumed it was a boy. Anyway, I moved to San Francisco in the late 70s when I got out of high school with the idea that I'd stay there for a year and then go to college, which that didn't happen. So I kind of fell in with the punk scene there. I saw the Sex Pistols last show, which was, like, really fucking dope. You can curse on this, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. It was really yeah, fucking yeah. dope. Get, but but that expression didn't minutes. exist in 1978, but it was really cool. <laughs> and this, the punk scene in San Francisco was kind of small. I mean, mm-hmm. so you would see the same people at every show. And there was a magazine newspaper starting up called Damage. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how I got connected with them, but I started doing reviews for them. We didn't get paid, but the first article I ever did was an interview with the Cramps. It was like Brian Gregory's one of his last shows. And then I interviewed Bush Tetras, and I interviewed Gang of Four, actually, which was really cool. And then I moved back to New York and was just kind of doing whatever you do in New York. I was working at an after-hours hardcore punk club. You know, <laughs> what year what is this, roughly? What year was John Lennon killed? 81, 80, really? 80, December 80. December 80. Okay, so I moved back like right when he was killed, mm-hmm. and I knew that maybe I'd been in the punk scene for a little too long because I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's an appropriate punk response. Yeah, I was like, I mean, you know, whatever. It's sad. Life goes on. Darby Crash had just died. Darby Crash had just died, and I was supposed to interview. I was supposed to interview him, and the motherfucker died. I was like, "Oh, Mm. I really wanted to interview the Germs because I'd never seen them." But anyway, long story short, I come back to New York, and then I start kind of writing a little bit. I was hanging out with bands. I was, you know, not in a kind of hanging out with bands. I mean, I was hanging out in a productive way. 
with bands. Um, Is there a production? Well, I, I don't know. I come back because I was from the. They thought I was from the West Coast, which I'm not. I'm from New York. But these bands were like, oh my god, you know Black Flag. Oh my god, you know these bands. Yeah. Oh my god, oh my god. And I'm like, sure, kids. You know? <laughs> um. Anyway, and then in like '85 or '86. I became friends with this girl who wrote for Spin, and she kind of introduced me to John Leland, oh, who's like you're <laughs> the greatest guy ever, the nicest guy what, ever, great than writer. Us. Yeah. Great, greater than us. Uh, in, in the American version. <laughs> and he was working at Spin, and I did a story about celebrity tattoos, people, celebrities who had tattoos, which back then you literally seriously had to think about it. Like, yeah, go, yeah. who has a tattoo? Mm. And it's actually how I got my first tattoo. Now you have to think about the ones that don't have Exactly. <laughs> now it's, like, obligatory. And then John, I had met this girl, again, it's always I had met, I met this girl in my neighborhood who was friends with Boogie Down Productions, uh-huh. and I went over, and I kind of knew who they were, and I mentioned it to John, he goes, holy shit, you yes. can, do you know them? And I went, I don't know him, but I met him, and he goes, you gotta do a story about the Boogie Down Productions Juice Crew battle, which I'm gonna pretend I knew more about, which I did, but I really <laughs> didn't. I kind of knew about it, but I didn't. Anyway, so I went to interview Boogie Down Productions, and then Scott LaRock was killed yeah. like a week later. Yeah. Which was awful, and then bibbidi bobbidi boo. You know? Right. Okay. Did you always like black music? I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I never, I didn't really want to write about hip hop. Not that I wasn't a fan, but I felt like, like the world, you know, like I wasn't in the scene. Yeah, I mean, yeah. wasn't like hanging out. I mean, New York at that point in the early '80s, it was all everywhere. Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't go to the Roxy just because I was always, I don't know, something always came up. I didn't mm. go to the Roxy, whatever. But I am like the only person of my age who lived in New York who never went to Danceteria. I went to the old Danceteria <laughs> and I went to the new Danceteria for reasons I don't even remember why. I'm sure they were stupid. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in, you know, I grew up with Top 40 Radio. Right. So, of course, yeah. my first bicycle was named Jermaine after Jermaine Jackson. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I grew up, I mean, it wasn't so, I'm not trying to be like, all kumbaya, but it wasn't like, I mean, there was an urban station yeah, in New yeah. York. It was like WWRL or something yeah, like yeah. that. But it was just like everybody danced to Motown. Everybody. But in high school, mm-hmm. I was voted most likely to appear on Soul Train. Because uh, <laughs> I was a dandy dancer in my youth. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't like a stretch for me. I mean, sure. I always grew up with that stuff. I had a lot of friends, you know, some of my best friends were black. Um, and it was just sort of like something I hated the Grateful Dead you know I just fucking hated the Grateful Dead oops oops <laughs> why take it oh well it's alright uh, I just hated them and I I listened to everything I just hated them you know and so yeah well, I mean what were you going to listen to yeah sure yeah, I mean sure. what were you going to listen though, to I mean you're talking about the days when Top 40 Radio played black and white music it played and that's before FM, which initially seemed like a really good idea, ended up splitting no. everything into its little I mean, component parts. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was the same here, but if you grew up in the New... I mean, I'm sure it was everywhere, but if you grew up in New York, there were a couple of radio stations, WABC, WCBS, and, you know, and they just played everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't like something you go, and now, here's the latest song from some black guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, it just was. Yeah. I mean, we would sit there and do dance routines mm-hmm. to, you know, thin line between love and hate. We had these intricate dance routines. Fantastic. that we Thin line, we would draw the thin line, <laughs> and then make the love, and then make the hate. You know, I mean, you just did that. It's a thin line. 
between love and hate. One of my favorite things to do in high school was to like smoke a lot of weed with my loser boyfriend, and we would watch the Knicks with the volume off playing P-Funk. Excellent. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That'll, I mean, that'll do. Yeah. Um, one of the pieces that we've selected for the spotlight on you on Yay. the homepage this week is... Inevitably, it has to be uh, the interview that you did with Amy Winehouse. Uh, now, the bizarre thing is, I happen to be, um, you may not even remember this, but I met you just after you'd interviewed Yes, at, at Book Soup. We were on Is that Sunset. what it's called, Book Soup? Yeah, it was Book Soup. We're I was Fawn doing Hall. an event there, Fawn and you came Hall in. was the receptionist. Was she? Yes. What, that night? She worked as the clerk there, because I kept How looking bizarre. at her like, where do Fawn I know Hall. this chick? Where Why do I know I this know chick? Well, anyway, you walked in and you said, I've just interviewed Amy Winehouse. Yeah. And, uh, and she, she was, was supposed to do two shows in L.A. I had a ticket for Spaceland the and following night. And she canceled. She canceled. Yeah, she was supposed to do, she had already played New York. She had already done her American debut, which I was at, at Joe's Pub. And then she was supposed to do two shows in L.A. She did the Roxy. She did do the Roxy. And then she was supposed to play that she next. She cancelled Spaceland. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was for some But so, I mean, look. It's well, not... we had talked on the phone because you called me up out of the blue <laughs> yeah. once asked me if I knew how to get health insurance. Me? Yes. Did you I? called me up and goes, oh, I was wondering, because you have a kid and I'm trying to get oh, health insurance from my in family. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, like, I, I, no. I remember having to pay health insurance. But when you find out, let me sure. know. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like $400 a, a month at that oh, point. Oh, that's nothing. But but so, Amy, not just because she's called Amy, but no, it's irresistible. Oh my God. Amy chasing Amy. You just uh, interviewed Amy. How do you remember that interview? Oh. Given she was about to become huge in America. Yeah, I think you yeah. got in there pretty early. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was funny because they had... A Originally, they, being the record label, had asked me to do the bio for Frank before mm -hmm. Back to Black, you know, because I was like, oh, yeah. I got it. She's good. Because she, I always <laughs> used to do bios for black artists, and I used to go, I do listen to white people. <laughs> and then they sent this, so I went, oh, my God, this is so obvious why they're sending this to me. And then they never released Frank. And there was a gossip columnist in the United States named Perez Hilton. Oh, yes. Of who's course. a really nasty queen. Mm. Like a really fucking nasty queen. I mean, he's gotten bad. He, I mm. But he was a huge, he had fantastic taste in music. And he was on her, like, early on. And I used to read, and I started getting into her. So I had seen her at Joe's Pub. And we I, have that review. On yeah, that. and I swear, it was like the John Landau, I have seen the future of rock and roll move, yep. moves. Because Joe's Pub is, like, tiny. It's a yep. cabaret. And as I said in my review, like basically the people that were there, it was industry people mm. and people who couldn't understand why Craig David wasn't a huge star in the mm. United States. So, And then rap, you know, Jay-Z Jay was, was there. there. Mm. The second show. We didn't get Jay-Z at my okay, show. Right. I had Sis and Cope and Mark Ronson was there. And, you know, but Mostaf, who was a good friend of hers. Yes. But so she was like, had done that remix with Ghostface. Yes. Which was really getting play, actually. I mean, people liked it. Um, that was, you know, I'm no good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because history has proven, at least the history of my world, that black folk are going to check for a white artist way before a white artist is going to check for a black artist. Uh, white mm. fans, they're just like, if you show that you're there to do the work and mm. you're not pandering, they're there. You know, people are there. When I first lay eyes on you, temperature so hot the heat just rise with you. Let me ride with you, talk about your mistakes. You cheated yourself, but these are the breaks and it'll never be the same. But anyway, so yes, yeah, so I was going to interview her for a black magazine 
for a hip hop magazine actually. For Double XL had a little R and B The Hip Hop Soul. Yeah, a little offshoot, offshoot that they did. Thing. And they were into her. And they also liked her because she was supposedly out of control. And, you know, that she was punching people out, and this was cool. So I was kind of expecting the worst. Not the worst, but I thought this could be, she could be a piece of work. And so we met at the Chateau Marmont, which is, you know, riddled with history, obviously. (laughs) And she comes out, and she was a little late, but again, I've been dealing with hip-hop artists for a long time. You know, if you're within two days of the interview. (laughs) Doing well. We're doing well. (laughs) And, well, I'm tall, but she was tiny. I have never seen anybody Mm -hmm. who wasn't a child that tiny. I'm not even being kidding. And Mm -hmm. she was like the size of one of my legs. Mm -hmm. And she was all kind of, she had obviously just woken up. And, you know, she could kind of tell that she was being observed as to what she was going to be doing. Like... The writer's going to say she had a drink, you know, or something like that. And sure. she did have a drink, but... Amaretto sour. Amaretto sour. Like, who drinks that? <laughs> Amy. Yeah. It was just like... Anyway, she was very sweet. She was very hesitant. And she only really kind of came a lot... Not that she was a bad interview. She was a really good interview. But she only really came out of this morass of self-hatred, of self wasn't even self-effacing. It was just like she didn't like herself mm-hmm. when she talked about her music. And when she talked about her music and she talked about singing and she, when she talked about the records, like the jazz records she wanted to make, then she was like bigger than life. But when she was talking about herself and talking about her relationships or talking about men in particular, she was like, yeah, you know, you know, I'm no good. You know, I'm a piece of shit. I'm this, and that, yeah. you know. And I remember just leaving there, just wanting to, like, put her in bubble wrap. Yeah. (laughs) And just go, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. And and it was was just crazy. It was just crazy because, you know, I mean, you're not there to become friends with the artist at all. I mean, you're there to do your job, and they know that. And, you know, obviously you want to be nice, you want to be pleasant. But everyone was like, oh, my God, what was she like? Was she a bitch? Did mm. she, like, threaten you? Was she doing this? Was she I said, no. Like, I seriously wanted to take this girl out for, like, a sandwich mm-hmm. and just say, it's going to be okay. Mm. Like, you're going to be okay. Mm. And then which, she... Which, unfortunately, wouldn't have been the truth. Not at all. I mean, you know, she had, like, a horrible combination of, like, shitty taste in men, mental illness, and money. Mm. Mm. You know, right. mm. sudden explosive. Oh fight. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just, I mean she was massive, massive, yeah. massive, massive. And she was just on the cusp of that. Well, the and LA she... show, like Courtney Love, was at the show. Yeah, it's like mess. Like, oh, that's how you're a mess. That's mm. how you're a mess if you can actually sing. I mm. get it, you know. <laughs> but it was really kind of what really hit me was like, okay, so the New York show was the album had not yet been released or was about to be released. And, you know, to me, Rehab is her weakest song. It's a, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, no, you know a, I'm no good is, is like yeah. ten times the Yeah, no, and Back to Black, I mean, it'll rip Mexico. your heart out. Oh you know, God. rip your heart out. But Rehab is like, it's a great song, it's fine, but it's sort of like the Joan Osborne, it's like, what if God were one of us? It's not her kind of best song, though it's a good song. By the time she hit L.A., people were knowing her, and they were like, oh, rehab, you know. You know. Oh, it was tiresome, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then by the time she hit New York again, it was done for. She was totally, like, mm. couldn't finish the show. Mm. It was So really, sad. It mm. was really sad. I will, I just want to say one thing, and it's, 
I mean, Mark is a great guy and he's a great producer, but Salam Remy always gets overlooked. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I had no idea until I saw the second Amy movie, mm. which is much more about the music than the first Amy mm. movie. Okay. And the second one, suddenly I realised that actually basically half of this album he produced. Salam did yeah. it. You know, and I think what was good in terms of, you know, Mark Ronson did a very good job. And actually Mark Ronson mixed it. And I think, I believe he mixed it. What he did, which was, was really clever, is he made their productions indistinguishable from one another. Yeah. That they, they sounded completely... No, it piece. doesn't sound like two guys. It doesn't. No, but when she, when they released that outtakes record, the Lioness record, Salam hosted the listening session. Mm. He's a nice guy, first yeah. off, and I've interviewed him before, and he's an interesting guy, actually. But his, like, one of his aunts or his sister is, like, a big soca singer. But, I mean, it was, you could see how painful it was for him mm. to talk about mm-hmm. it. But Salam doesn't seek the limelight. Salam is also not as good a story. Mm-hmm. He's also not an artist in the sense that he's out there doing whatever he does. I mean, I like Mark as a person. I'm not taking anything away from Mark. He's a really good producer. He's a nice guy the few times I've met him. But I just always feel like Salam... Salam also did that. Yeah. You know, and Salam produced the records that influenced Amy. Like, he Mm. produced the Fuji's record, you Mm. know, and... I mean, to be fair, in the film, the documentary, he gets his juice. That's that's a lot. That's what I'm saying. It's the first time I really became aware of how central he was. And comes across really well. Such a sweet guy. But I just just sometimes feel bad, like... Well, mm. because it's partly because Mark Ronson has, is an artist in his own right. Yeah. And also a really good self-promoter. Yeah, he is. No, he is. And Maybe he's just like, story. which is fine. I mean, mm. it's not to take it, but I always just almost feel like I always have to, like, yeah, yeah. I want to remind yeah. people yeah, that yeah. Salam Remy produced yeah. half of that record. Yeah. That's right. Amy, you've interviewed so many other great, great stuff. Everybody, baby, everybody. everybody. Um, you know, Missy Elliott, Kanye West. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Kanye, because uh, we're probably going to feature the Kanye piece. Oh, Dios mio. Where do we start? <laughs> All right. So... I was assigned by Complex Magazine, which was kind of like a music magazine, but it was kind of beginning to fashion itself after, like, the lads mags. Mm. So they were going to do Kanye, Talib Kweli, and the Beasties, right? It was like one, three stories. They were all going to be on the cover. Okay. So they were doing it at this big photo some warehouse. I mean, some photo studio. And they were all going to be there. I was going to do the interview. This is like 2004, right? College dropout hasn't even come out at this point. Right. It was Correct? about to come out. Yeah. 2004. <laughs> so, okay. So, I knew who he was, you know, because he had done a lot of production. I thought he was a great producer. And Through the Fire or Through the Wire, whatever the hell it was called, had yeah, come through out. Through the Wire. Right. <laughs> so, so, my son, who was, I don't know, junior high or something like that at that point it was a big hip-hop fan really like Kanye and he was going to you know he was going to buy the bootleg or something like that and I said you know I'll get the record you don't have to fucking buy the bootleg you know know, they're gonna send me the record I'm interviewing him right so I meet Kanye I meet this oh my god it was fucking a nightmare and the public goes oh this is Amy should be doing the interview blah 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 and I said, yeah, you know, I said, I really liked the record, which was true. I really did like the record. And he goes, oh, did you buy it? Okay. And I looked at him and I went, no. <laughs> I said, I didn't buy the record. I said, they send us the records. I didn't buy the record. And he's like, oh, this is, you know, oh, I'm not doing this interview. <laughs> I'm like, 
I said, well, if it makes you feel any better. I did buy the record. No. <laughs> I said, if it makes you feel any better, my son was going to buy a bootleg, and I told him not to buy the bootleg. So in essence, I saved you money because my kid was going to buy a fucking bootleg, and you wouldn't have gotten that $5 anyway, and I wouldn't have paid for the record, so we're even. And I said it like in a funny way, and he's ready to walk off. So the publicist is like, oh, you know, Amy's, uh, she's got a sense of humor. She's got a sort of a dark sense of humor. She's really great. You love her. Blah, blah, blah. All right. That's what we tell people about you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm adorable. But, I mean, it's just like, and I'm just sitting there going, dude, okay, really? Did you buy the record? Have you? Mm. No. You know, that's what that for promotional use on the fucking record means. <laughs> you morons. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I interviewed Talib. Nice guy, you know, well-respected, great guy, blah, blah, blah. Then I interviewed the Beasties, who are sort of new from, like, back in the mm-hmm. day. And also, at that point, I was sort of starting to vaguely date someone Beastie-affiliated. <laughs> <laughs> so, it hadn't, we hadn't really started dating yet, but he was Beastie-affiliated. That's the best line in podcasts so yeah. far. I was vaguely <laughs> starting to date someone who was vaguely Beastie-affiliated. Well, to hear him tell it, he's completely, you know. Uh, but anyway, we were just starting to get together. So, we had that kind of conversation and stuff like that. And then... So they were great, and they yeah. were funny, and they're the beasties, and they're pros, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then I had to interview Kanye. All right, so Kanye was the first. You had to wait because he had to get a shape up. It was like, okay, yeah, I understand that. Do you know what a shape up is? No, no. We um, looked bewildered. It's a black <laughs> turn. It's when your your hair is being, you, black eyes, you know, you're getting the hair cut. You're shaping it okay. up. You're right. getting a shape up. Right, got because it. Because... Time to get a shape up. Time to get a shape up. <laughs> but it's not like a haircut. It's like a more a yeah. maintenance. At least I got her to shape up. Yes. Yeah. It's a maintenance. Oh, so cruel. <laughs> there so are cruel. many, many, I have done many an interview where the interview is being done during the shape up. Just a little yeah, yeah, bit yeah. of fixing. Okay. So we had to wait for that because his barber, you know, his barber mm. was coming and it's like, All right, so anyway, so we go, and I go do the interview, and he's just, first off, he wouldn't look directly at me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would sort of kind of this, and he just would start going off on these tangents. Like, he was furious because Rolling Stone had given the record four and a half stars, and he had gotten the Boys Choir of Harlem to come all the way out to the Hamptons to record, and why didn't they acknowledge the effort he had put into getting them to come to the Hamptons? And I'm thinking... You don't get fucking points for like driving a choir out to the Hamptons. First off, who brings the boys' choir of Harlem out to the Hamptons? Why don't you just bring your ass into Harlem? Number one. <laughs> Number two. Whatever. Like you don't get you don't get scored on the effort points. Anyway, long story short. So he was just a dick. Yeah. So basically, was like Donald Trump even then. He was just a dick. I mean, and the thing is, I left there. And then you start reading all these other reviews, like, so I'm thinking, uh, maybe he was a dick because I'm a girl, maybe he's a dick, because sometimes rappers go, mm. ugh, the white writer, they sent the white writer, really? Like, we're not worthy of, like, getting the black writer? And then I'm like, every review, he's a dick, he's a dick, yeah. he's a dick, yeah. he's a dick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't even like he's crazy. Mm. I mean, crazy you can deal with. He was just a yeah. dick. It's so disappointing, because, I mean, those first couple of albums, I think, are fantastic no, records. they are. Yeah. Uh, I, I was checking for him up until Beautiful Dark Twisted Fan is, and yeah. I was like, 
we're done. Yeah, we're yeah, done. it lost yeah. me. Uh, and, you know, like recently, him chumming up with Donald Trump. You know, it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I just think he's one of these people who thinks being a provocateur for the sake of being yep. a provocateur. And I mean, I don't want to. His mental illness is not something to joke around about. Not if sure. he indeed is bipolar, that's really sad. That's mm-hmm. effed up. But the thing is, he could be using. He could be talking about it in a positive yeah, way yeah. to get people to talk about mental illness. But then he just. It all doesn't matter. I know a lot of crazy people. Yeah. yeah. They're not dicks. No. Mm-hmm. no. I don't know whether yeah, Kenny's ever sampled Bobby Womack, but we're going to just roll back in time to the audio interview. It's your boy Kanye to the... Got consequences oh. in I see now. Yeah. Little brother. I see I now. Yeah. I want y'all to listen. Let you through, boy. It's five years since Bobby Womack died, so we're really? just mar- marking yeah. Wow. that. Yeah, yeah. So, this is last week, but then Elliot Roberts died, and yada yada. So this is marking five years. Mark, tell us yeah, about the first yeah. clip from this nineteen seventy-six. Well, 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 before audio. we get to the clip, going to sort of some of the rest of the, it's a Cliff White classic Cliff White interview, which isn't really an interview. It's a kind of rambling conversation. That's what Cliff did as a journalist. And it would produce really great copy as a result. You know, uh, it starts off with Bobby playing guitar, trying to sing a song. He's in a hotel room, I guess. He's, oh he's just played his British debut show at the Hammersmith Odeon, which hadn't gone very well. Mm. And so there's a bit of a post mortem going on about, about the That's show. That's around the corner, right? It's very close. Okay. And uh, in fact, I, I went through the. Re- I posted one of the reviews a couple of weeks ago, yeah, and I, a good I, review. and I glanced at a couple of the other reviews, and they're all mixed, including Vivian Goldman, who's a huge Bobby Womack fan. And so they're sort of talking about that, and it's fairly rambling stuff. But then he, he gets on to this thing about you know Cliff asks him, you know, do you get flat from the black disc jockeys, particularly about using white musicians? So that's this clip right now. Everybody claims that they want the best things out of life. But not everyone, everyone want to go. You get any stick from black jocks because you've been working with so many white musicians now and and, uh, got such a white following? I started playing muscle shows. And, like, none of the jocks knew that uh, none of those guys, they didn't remember about muscle shows. They thought all those guys were black. (laughs) They did. They did. They really thought they were black until they were telling me, like, what do you think about, we were doing an interview one time, they said, what do you think about all these uh, white guys trying to steal our music, like, you know, so like, listen to, listen to your music, you know, and then, and we listen to Rita Franklin, listen to Joe Texas and all these people, like, and you see, he said, they're trying to get it, but they didn't know that the guys on the, on, on, I said, well, all those guys on the uh, session is white, mm-hmm. they said, oh, man, Shocking. I said, no, it's, 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 you know, you know, they were really like, oh, man, I can't believe it. What they, they haven't stolen it, they got it. I said, no, man, it's not like that. I say, people, I said, just like you like certain kind of foods, and, and, you, and, you, and you'd be surprised. That's when you go into southern cities, like in the south, you see white people eating cornbread and greens and buttermilk and they raise up on that stuff. I said, they raise up on that stuff, man. That's all they know. You know, I said, then you go and come to L.A. and don't nobody want to eat up a steak and baked potato. They don't eat vegetables, man. They don't even deal with that. They don't even deal with greens. They don't even eat pork. They don't eat anything but 
you know, cottage cheese and stuff like that. Bagels, lots of bagels. It's just kind of pretty interesting stuff. He sort of carries on. He talks about his most recent album, Safety Zone, which is actually recorded in L.A. about how much he hates that album. Apparently, all his guitar parts were taken off. Mm. It was completely mixed without his... It's a terrible record. It's a not good record. He talks about touring, uh, goes back to talk about the London show. Great story about a sacking horn player, which is highly amusing. Great story about getting off a record label he's on by threatening the owner with a blank pistol blank ah uh, yes and we'll play a lot a clip at the end of the show which is about how basically he recorded an album for Atlantic where his vocals were taken off and Wilson Pickett's were substituted you lie <laughs> well that's what Bobby says you know there may um, be some truth in there may be some truth Oh yeah. my god, that's the funniest thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and it's actually one nice thing about that, that interview. Is they don't sound anything alike. He, he does. He does a great two-word impersonation. Wexler said, I, "I, I ran out." Wexler said, "You know what's happened to my album?" And he said, "Coming out soon, baby." Baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Wexler did call Wexler, people baby. Baby all the Especially time. Especially black people. Yeah, it's a great interview. I mean, we are huge Wormack fans. Oh, I, I, I spent I when I was in a band. I spent about three years trying to rewrite the first two songs on Poet 2 and not succeeding. I mean, just a massive Womack fan. Yeah. It, it's great to hear him talking in that era because we do have... He does sound a bit refreshed, doesn't he? He's got like... He's had, he's had well, a drink and maybe a He joint. was already at this point because hanging out with the Stones. Yes. So, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Ronnie Wood was his kind of... <laughs> was his all-night kind of yeah. man. buddy, you know. <laughs> but, you know, he's always charming and even though it's quite hard to understand what he's saying sometimes... Oh, my God. He's just... Transcribing Bobby Womack. Well, exactly. It's not easy. But I think he's charming. But you, you know, he would cut you in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think that's probably right. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've interviewed him a couple of times and gotten well with him. Loved his music, and I love the fact that he was a different kind of soul soul star. Really, he he wasn't like even like a Marvin Gaye. He was like this kind of singer-songwriter guy. No, totally. Who happened to be incredibly soft. In that sense, close to like Bill Withers or someone. A little bit closer to Bill Withers. I mean, he'd come out of gospel. He'd come out of the Valentinos. And And initially, quite orthodox soul stuff that he did. But when, I think after he started hanging out with the Stones and other people like that, Jim Ford, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sly and Stone, Sly, right? of course, Sly was a massive influence. Those two that. albums, Communication and Understanding, that he yeah, talks yeah, yeah. about yeah. in this audio, yep. were like almost like they were like singer songwriter albums. Yeah, and, I, I also, and really great. Yeah, I also love, I love the fact that he became his stepdaughter's father-in-law. Oh, yeah, that's uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which just gets very, very complicated. No, I like a messy artist. <laughs> he was messy. He was I mean, messy. he was all over the shop, really. Yeah. But Me and my boyfriend in high school, our songs, we had two songs because we were so in love. Uh, we had... <laughs> We Let had, me guess. Uh, no, oh, guess. Woman's got to have it. No, God, I was in high school. <laughs> I was 16. This is the same boyfriend I was smoking weed and watching right. and listening to P-Funk to. Tavares, only takes a minute to fall in love. And uh, when there's a will, there's a way. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice.
enjoyed this interview. It's quite hard to make out what he's saying. God, he's got to go For what it's well. worth, I interviewed Marky Smith once, and I didn't understand a fucking word he said. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the tape was backwards. I really I was like, oh, shit, this tape. And I just made it up. Well, fun, funny you should mention Marky Smith, because we can segue just briefly into a little discussion about Nico. I met Nico a couple of times. One was with Marky Smith. What are you trying to say? No, I was going to say, do you want me to tell my Womack story? Do you want me to tell my Womack story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Come, tell us your Womack story. Okay, it's really quick. Okay, so huge fan, huge fan, huge fan. You know, I just love him, love him, love him. Okay, so I interviewed Resurrection for the New York Times, which I thought was a good record. I don't care if you guys think it was a good record. I thought it was a good record. I'm assuming you didn't. Did you like it? I can't even remember it, to be honest with you. It's good. I liked it. Anyway, long story short, I get a call from somebody at the New York Times. And they're like, we received a phone call for you, but we didn't want to give out, it's way before cell phones, we didn't want to give out your phone number, but he wanted you to have his number, and he wanted you to call him. And I'm like, oh, who's it? And they go, oh, it's Bobby Womack. And I'm like, yeah, right. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, sure, I'll play this game. So I call him, and it's fucking Bobby Womack. <gasps> and I'm talking to him. And he's like, oh, baby, I just want to say, you know, I really like, this is my all-purpose old black eye singer voice. I do the same voice for James Brown. I do the same voice for everybody. <laughs> but it's like, oh, I just want to say that, uh, you know, I really dug it. You know, the review was, like, really good. You know, I was sitting there, with, you know, with uh, Ronnie and Keith. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm in the back of my mind, I'm going, he's Ronnie. Ronnie Wood, right? <laughs> Keith Richards, right? Oh, man, I'm talking to Bobby Womack, and he's hanging out with Ronnie Wood. Anyway. So that was like, and then I did get to see him before he passed at City Winery. And he was, you know, he had to sit and yeah, he had yeah. the lyrics in front of him. But I'm really glad I got to see him. And I took my son. And as the show's going on, my kid's on the phone. I'm like, going, put your fucking phone away. Yeah, yeah. And, but then he said he was, he was Googling the samples because he's like, I know this song. Well, shazamming it. Yeah. No, no, oh. no. He was like, oh, I know the song. Who right. sampled this? And then I got to meet, I, I did like the, I very rarely like want a picture with the celebrity. Yeah, yeah. But it was Bobby Womack. Yeah. And I was just, no, he. Yeah. That last album, I'm not, I mean, Damon Albarn's done some good stuff and some stuff I really can't stand. But I thought they did a really good oh. job with him on that last album. No, but that wasn't Damon Albarn's that it, last it was, He was mainly Richard Ross. Richard yeah. Russell's really that was the guy a good record. Yeah. So, I thought it was terrific. Damon record. had some input yeah. into it. Yeah. But I will say that I interviewed Bobby Womack around that maybe around that time or when he was doing with the gorillas <laughs> he told me he had no fucking idea who the gorillas were it was like his son cool. said dad you should do this man the young white kids they like that kind of music and he's like check yeah yeah <laughs> and then he ended up killing it with them but he you know, yeah there's yeah. a try it's called cloud of unknowing on the gorillas arm which is it's beautiful and stylo it's a great song. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and that led to this kind of extraordinary swan song album. Which yeah, is, no, it's a you know, beautiful Please record. forgive my heart. That that track is it's so heartbreaking. It, it is no. lovely. Um, Oddly, about ten years before that, he tried to do the same, done a similar thing with Ray and Christian, mm. and that hadn't worked. <gasps> Ray and Christian. Pa- pa- I actually have a Ray and Christian well, record. Well, so do I. Oh. And he he cut about three or four tracks with them. Yes. The idea of doing a whole album. They just didn't get on. I don't think he understood their Manchester accents and so on and so forth. That would be know. a problem. A bit like you with Marky Smith, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so well, he can... sounds like Yosemite Sam. So like Yosemite Sam meets Yosemite Sam. Yeah. They're not going to understand yeah. each other. Yeah, um, this is right. but, yeah. it, but it's very similar to, to that the last album. It, oh, okay. It really is. It's, it's actually they're very good. There's two or three tracks which are really really worth listening to.
Tanika. Well, so, so yeah, where I was trying to go with Marquis Smith was that the two times I met Nico, one was with, Mar I was interviewing Marquis Smith, I think we were in Birmingham. Nico was the support act. So it was the fall of Nico. So I met her then. Get it, the it, fall, Nico. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, and... And the second time was with John Cooper Clark when when she was living in Brixton. And one of the pieces about Nico. So basically, next week in Manchester, this thing called the Nico Project opens. I think it's like two, two maybe three weeks. And Maxine Peake, who's now you know a very respected actress in the UK, is part of this thing, the Nico Project. So we just thought we'd just focus a little bit on Nico. I just, I just chose three pieces, one of which mentions this flat in, in Brixton, uh, where, which she was sharing with John Cooper Clark. But the first piece, 1965, so it's pre-Velvet. Oh, wow. It's pre-Marble Index, it's pre-everything. She's she's in London, living in Earl's Court, um, signed to Immediate Records, yeah. Andrew Lou Goldham's label. And she just says some hilarious things. She said, I'm one of the, I have a habit of leaving places at the wrong time, but this time I'm determined to stay put in Earl's Court. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't last very long. And then she says some of the hilarious things. If I wasn't modeling or singing, because she was German born, she was a model, she'd right. been in La Dolce Vita. She said, If I wasn't modeling or singing, I think I'd like to be a farmer or possibly captain of a ship. But you have to sort of say, I'd like to be a farmer right. or possibly captain of a ship. <laughs> <laughs> the next piece that we have is a long Lester Bangs, really, really eloquent piece about these extraordinary solo albums that Nico produced after mm -hmm. leaving John Cale produced the Marble Index, which, I mean, love it or, or loathe it, and it's an acquired taste. It's certainly one of the most extraordinary records ever made, I think. And Desert Shore is not far behind. Lester says, you know, that they, the, the second side of the Marble Index, the three songs constitute one of the furthest outposts on the borderline of that vast pan-idiomatic musical language promised tomorrow. Does, Jiggle what? <laughs> <laughs> it was out there. Oh, okay. that's, that's my translation. It was out Sorry. there. And it is really out there. Um, <laughs> but it's good. And then the last piece is actually an interview that Nico did in Australia with Clinton Walker. Oh, about, this is the one that Tammy oh. Faye Starlight does. Oh, is it? Really? She really? reproduces that interview. No. No, it is... Okay. Hilarious. Okay, so just explain briefly Tammy Faye. Oh my God, Tammy Faye Starlight. Nico impersonator, right? Well, no, she does more than that. Tammy Faye Starlight started out like as a sort of. She's a singer. She's, she lives in, I think, Jersey or New York. She's been around for a while and she's a cabaret artist and she has certain personas. She has done Marianne Faithful, like the whole broken okay. English record. But the thing is, she's a great singer. She is yeah. a better singer than Nico. And Marianne Faithful. Okay. And she often has Barry Reynolds playing with her. Who um, is Marianne's? Yeah, daughter. right. But not only does she do the album, she's hilarious. Mm. So she does these sort of bits. And so she does Nico. <laughs> But she like goes, uh, I told you the jizz, you know. And it's just like she's really, and, and she's very, very funny. So she does whole albums, but she did the Nico, that interview. 
That is extraordinary. And she looks like she looks nothing like her. Okay. But then she looks. But she like channels her. her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she has the blonde. But she's a great singer. But she just did all the Stones records too. Okay. She just did Satanic Magic. Sounds great. No, well, she is great. It, but anyway, that's it. it is a great. It's a great yeah. interview, and you really get this sense of it. It's, it's Bondi Beach, but all the curtains are closed. Right. <laughs> uh, there's incense burning. Nico's wearing leather. Uh, I, see, and I remember. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, it's really good. Uh, and she just does just just yeah. classic Nico yeah. quotes. And I think Clinton asks, "What would give you joy to give shelter?" To a murderer on the run. <laughs> We've got one interview. I think she does that interview. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, You're going to have to hear that. In 71, I think, this Michael Watts, she predicts her own death. She says, I will, yeah. I will go back to Ibiza to die. Yeah. She, she was a dog. She's the only spirit. thing that Let's makes Jackson Brown cool. <laughs> because, I mean, he's written some good songs, but as far as I'm concerned, I mean, he's written some great songs, but. That's Nico, the Nico Project, and yeah, three great and, pieces And of course, about our her. previous guest, Jennifer Ross Bickerdite, is writing, writing the, the, the sort of official, quasi official biography. Yeah. We'll get an email from Jennifer. How could you talk about Nico without me on the show? <laughs> <laughs> She's very funny. So, at this point, we are going to turn the show over to Mark, who's going to tell us about some of the new stuff, the new pieces going to the library. Yeah, there's some kind of quite fun stuff. There's an uncredited, it's actually in his own words, Brian Jones for Raven 1964, describing what it's like to play a gig for the Rolling Stones. The atmosphere is more than electric by now. It's something tangible, like a vast elastic band ready to snap at any moment. And then we're off. Keith rolls into talking about you. The curtains slowly part. The stones are rolling. As our music gains momentum, the kids sway like palm trees in a hurricane. A huge Hampton roar swamps our overworked amplifiers. We feel as if we're really in there with the fans. And so it carries That can't on. be Brian. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that smacks of Keith Alton. Yeah. He wrote that? No, well, no, I mean, as you... As you as, as Probably just said, our good friend Keith Alton yeah, I, right I, I, I strongly suspect... Jeffrey Cannon reviewing Delaney and Bonnie and Friends at the Royal Albert Hall in December 69. Uh, and this is when Eric Clapton, Delaney and Bonnie supported Blind Faith on the tour and then broke up and Eric basically joined Delaney and Bonnie. And for stole a, their whole shit. And stole the whole okay. shit. Sorry, you're um, going to cut that part No, 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 that, that, that's absolutely right. It says, Bonnie glances, Bonnie, Bonnie Bramlett glances at Eric Clapton. I can see her feel the glory of the fact that he's playing for her. After years of tiny halls, ex-I kept Bonnie, not so long ago singing in bars in San Fernando, is being back tonight by the most famous and magnetic white guitarist in the world. Yee-ow! She steps back from the microphone, hoists her skirts, skips, laughs, alight with joy. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a lovely piece of writing. Mm. You know, I mean, what everyone feels about Eric Clapton. <laughs> I don't like Eric Clapton. I think he's overrated. Oh God, there. no! Well, I think, I think, we, I, we would, we would absolutely we would concur with completely that. Concur. Hashtag overrated. Yeah, no. I mean, I have recently started. They released a load of Cream live Cream stuff uh, as part of these massive reissue series. Yeah, a lot and. It's kind of quite compelling as a sort of mad, or near psychedelic, you know, power trio noise. But, you know, everything he did after Cream has just been. He's just like a walking average. This is a horrible thing to say, but I don't care. 
I will preface it by saying kids don't do drugs, but he's a walking advertisement. What happens when you stop doing heroin? You become fucking boring, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> kids don't do drugs. Kids don't give up heroin. Yeah, don't give up heroin. <laughs> Moving on to 71, Michael Watts and Melody Maker interviewing Randy Newman. Now, Randy Newman always gives good interview. 71... He hasn't really got his career is sort of getting going. He'd be, but you know, he'd be making these records which weren't selling much and so on and so forth. Yeah. He'd de- developing the reputation, and he, but he's great. He says, "Maybe I get all the rot out, and that's why I'm so lovable and friendly and perfect in every way. Saintly. That's what sums me up." <laughs> <laughs> Yes, just love it. Ever I've gone, they like me, but I get bored. I'm a manager's nightmare. I guess you can't handle me. In this interview, he's very uncertain about himself, about his place in like the pop world. He had just done a sort of a showcase for the, the industry in some London hotel, and had stopped halfway through because everyone was just talking and drinking. And just it, it, not, it wasn't didn't throw a strop. He just thought, obviously thought, why I am I think here? You guys, I would think you guys, English. People from England would have. <laughs> I suppose English people from England. The English from England. I would think you guys would have a hard time understanding him, not literally understanding what he says. But to me, he just seems like so fucking deadpan American. No, no, no. I think actually we get him better than a lot of Americans oh. do. Um, and I just you see, we get irony. We get irony. Yeah. A? 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 That's sufficiently provocative. <laughs> yeah, we get some irony. But he's all about irony. And he yeah. would himself say, not that the English get me more than my yeah. foreign countrymen do, but I think he would lament the fact that a lot of Americans don't get irony. A la, like, short people, rednecks. You know, these songs that yeah, got him into huge trouble. because. kind of cranky about shit like <laughs> Larry Sloman, who we talked about last week in relation to the Rolling Thunder review, this is uh, he reported on George Harrison's 75 tour and interviews him, and the tour is really a bit of a disaster. The, the audiences aren't interested in George's recent album, recent work. They just want the sort of the hits, and the interviews is really dull because George Harrison's talking sort of kind of, you know, karmic bollocks basically you know anyway getting back to karma i see life as a piece of string the goal being to un- try to undo all the knots you know and he carries on this sort of that's how you see it isn't it i'm smack the bitch <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's dead you know yeah still. i know i mean look you know bah, believe that i've trashed two beetles in <laughs> 45 minutes yeah. 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 show me, show me have pieces on the others no yeah. i like Beatles. Yeah. I just want to go on record saying I like the Beatles. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, in case you get some attack. Yeah, you never know. Screen. You never know. Robert Duncan, second part of Robert Duncan's monumental kiss piece for Cream '77. And the second half is, is, is where he interviews Gene Simmons. So I'm afraid to say, actually, kind of says some pretty smart stuff. He's, he's not a, an idiot, he's, he's just an no. asshole. Uh, he says, I like platforms, I don't like being 6'1", I like being 6'8", uh, which is kind of fair enough. He says, all those people in New York who are dressing up to look like Lou Reed don't realise in Gary, Indiana, everybody looks like that. <laughs> That's a good quote. Which is basically down-dressing, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know so, oh. so, and no matter how badly somebody wants to tear us apart, they have to print a picture of me. I love that. 
So basically, you know, any he's publicity a smart is good business man, yeah. Gene yeah. Simmons, yes, he and he created an amazing brand. Pretty good. I mean, uh, I had a very long tongue. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's a Republican, though. Well, well a Republican. He, he always was, really. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Smash It's 81, Dave Rimmer interviewing Japan. I mean, Mick Khan's very funny. Japan had started doing really well in Japan. Their, their first real major market was in Japan. And Mick Khan says, I can't imagine a band from Japan called England doing very well in this country, in That's England. <laughs> there was a heavy metal band in LA during the kind of hair metal LA. years called London, funnily enough. Yeah, well, but not England. Yeah, yeah. And, they yeah. Did, and they did nothing here. No. <laughs> Nick Kent reviewing the Miner's Benefit concert at the Festival Hall in September '84 which featured among other star council, and Wham. Now, the thing is that he goes on about how Wham were basically singing over a backing track. As if that's a well, bad well, thing. Well, okay, this is my very point about this, because this made me fairly angry, because <laughs> this is Nick Kent being snotty about authenticity, notions of authenticity. Every, everyone cottoned on in less than a minute that Wham were, in fact, miming to a tape on which four tracks were sequenced. Somewhat oddly, in fact, causing the final humiliation for Wee George when an exclusive print through the new single had to be postponed. And he goes on in this sort of line. He reports George saying his rationale was this. If anyone thinks that it, wham, miming, matters, they aren't here for the right reasons. Now, I think that's spot on. Mm. You know, it really doesn't matter that they were miming. The fact that this ultra-pop band would appear for the miners at the time of the miners' yeah. strike is really significant. And so Nick Kent's been really snotty here. And, I, and, and you know... White rock critics snotty about pop music? Well, what? Well, no, never never before. What? Uh, the, the first time it ever happened. The, the, the last one, Spin 1991. Uh, 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 Daly. Stephen Daly. Stephen Daly. Former uh, drummer in Orange Juice. Did you know him at all, Stephen? I knew of. He's just yeah. come on yeah. board and, and uh, I, I we're delighted writing. to have him. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked his and this, is, this is a big interview with De La Soul uh, on the back of their second album, De La Soul is Dead. Yes. Uh, and they were having a real struggle in that the, the, everyone loved the first album. It was or like as we call them in the United States, Dela. Sorry, Dela. Excuse oh, me. God, I'm such a peasant. Dela. So <laughs> just I, saying. I stand just duly. Saying, I stand dude. duly corrected. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Dela is the like Dela Reese Dela Soul. <laughs> <laughs> but it's French. I'm just De saying. De la. 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 Oh, this, this, this is going to be relentless. <laughs> she has her every right. She has every right. Get off the bus. Get on the bus. Hip hop on, hip hop <laughs> off. Um, yeah, sorry. And they're being challenged. The people who come to their dressing rooms challenge them to fight because they. Who? LL's people? No, other people. Because, other people. But because they saw this band as being somehow thinking they're above street stuff with all their daisy yeah and so they said just because we speak about peace doesn't mean we can't defend ourselves and kick much ass that's true they're from Uh, a really kind of shit neighborhood in Long Island yeah and and this is the sort of stuff which influences the second album that they they wanted to undo all Mm. the daisy age sort of hippy dippy image and also they sound just really sad that what had started off being huge fun as suddenly, really quickly stopped being fun. Mm. Back in those days, you could go to a party and just get on the mic. Now, basically, it's just work. Work and rules. Mm. It's a, so it's a pretty downbeat 
They're Peace. nice guys. I just saw them actually. They came out with the gorillas, and the gorillas played in Brooklyn, and they came out, and like okay. everybody went. They're nice guys. I yeah. Yeah. they were nice. I'm glad that nice they got. Even though their record sales kind of fell off a cliff after. The well, first you album. know the reason behind that. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> Have you guys covered, by the way, the whole Jody Rosen story about the UME, the fires, the Universal Records, all no, the masters going up in flames? Well, that's a whole nother, you know, whatever. De La, Tommy Boy has basically, they didn't want to give, the reason De La stuff has never been released digitally is because they wanted to give him like this insane percentage rate. And so mm. they wouldn't have made any. But, but, but I mean, the, the sales did, um, the first yeah, album they fell was off. huge. That's why I got asked to yeah. review Balloon yeah. Mind State, yeah. the record nobody gave a flying I, fuck. I, I, I like the fact that despite the fact that their sales have fallen off, they've stayed together pretty oh, much. Oh no, and they mm. still make good music. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, and they've carved out a career over what, however many years it is now. I mean, this is 91, so you can do something years. 20 years, you know. I think that's wholly admirable. Yeah, they've done a lot of stuff I've really liked, yeah. you know. So that's my lot. How about you? Yeah. Okay, so three pieces I just briefly wanted to mention because we are almost out of time. One I absolutely loved is a long piece from the 90s by the late Al Aronovitz, which is essentially about this album that Bob Neweth made or was making for David Geffen. Mm -hmm. So it's a piece called A Movie for David Geffen. And it's just an extraordinary piece about this album. Essentially, the album was a result of a bet that Albert Grossman, who was Neweth's manager, Neweth being Bobby Dylan's, like, the guy that Bob Dylan based his kind of cruel persona on. And Grossman... (laughs) Grossman bet David Geffen that he couldn't get an album, couldn't get Bob Neweth to make an album. And so $200,000 later... Geffen ends up with an album on Asylum Records that sells like 10 copies. Mm. And so it's the story of the making of that through mainly the reminiscences of uh, an interesting character called Thomas Jefferson Kay, who was the producer on, on the album. And it's just a terrific piece about Geffen, you know, Dylan, Bob Neweth, and all the stars who were essentially doing coke at the sessions in L.A. We lost just a few days ago the great Dave Bartholomew, who really more than anyone was the architect of New Orleans R&B. He was the guy who produced the very early like, Fats Domino records. Oh. And he died at 100 years oh, old. 100 years, that's an ending. He was 100. And up, um, so this is, a, this is a piece Bob Fisher sent us after Dave died. It's just an interesting piece yeah. and kind of walk through Dave's career and his own it is his a, own music. It is yeah. astonishing. You know, when we're talking about this in the office, I pulled up his Wikipedia page and your jaw drops a number of fantastic oh, yeah, records yeah. he was involved yeah. in. I mean, yeah. just uh, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, we talk about Alan Toussaint, don't we? But the, but really, ultimately, if if Alan Toussaint was the sort of godfather of New yeah, Orleans, then. Yeah. then Dave Bartholomew was the grandfather yeah. of And also, of I mean, you know, sound. Little Richard probably wouldn't have happened without Dave Bartholomew in many respects. There's all kinds of stuff yeah. in, involved there. It's yeah. just, just amazing, man. Yeah, so so this is this is kind of marking his departure. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Is that a shame? My tears fell like rain. And finally, just a, a great piece by Mick Houghton, who's coming in a couple of weeks to do the podcast. Mick, long-time writer and has written some books recently. He has a new book out called Fried and Justified. This is a piece from 2011 about Terry Reid, who I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of. And it's really it's really the story of how Terry Reid missed sort of every boat that he could possibly uh, you know, yeah, have yeah, missed. Yeah. You know, he, uh, most famously, he was slated to be the original 
front man in Led Zeppelin. Yeah. But but he, you know, he was signed by Mickey Most. There were so many points at which Terry yeah. Reid, one of the great yeah. white we, we, R&B fun singers. Fun fact, fun fact, Terry mm-hmm. Reid is on the last replacements record. Is he? Yeah, okay. he sings Someone Takes the Wheel. Someone well, oh, Take the Wheel. Oh, does he? Does that's he? good to know. Um, we've got an audio interview on the site, which is terrific. He's, he tells all these stories about his near misses yeah. and it, with such good humour. Such good grace. You know, um, I mean, it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I couldn't do Led Zeppelin because actually I'd already agreed to do a tour of you know, ballrooms in England. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, Peter Jen and, and so the he's Jay like the... The white Alexander O'Neill or something like that. Something like that. I mean, he's 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 a real sweetheart, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've I've met him a couple of times. He's a sweetheart, and he's made some really great records. Yeah. This should have been huge. River should have been huge. Seed of Memory, Rogue Waves. There's good good records here, and and he certainly. I think his second album was called Super Lungs, and he did have this fabulous no, no, no. voice. You know, I saw him play at LA once. He had this Monday night. Uh, evening thing at the joint in on, on Pico, and and he would have whoever was in town. If it was Robert Plant, they everyone would just play with him. I think. Right. And I remember him doing like three or four Ov Wright songs, yeah. and and you could sort of understand why why he was paying homage to Ov Wright because his voice. It sort of operates in in the same, same kind of area. Yeah. Wonderful, hoarse, ragged, mm. but but beautiful white soul voice. So that's it, Terry Reid. Is it my maker, That's us done. Barring, we want to give a shout out to our special guest. Yes. Well, she can give her own yes, shout Yes, yes, because you probably can't herself. read my handrating or no, pronounce go on. it. I'm really- so, because, as my son's friend said, podcasts are the new middle aged lower back tattoo. <laughs> oh, that's certainly why we started. Yeah. Shout out, Con Ando. Thank you. So, myself and my friend Courtney Anderson, who's a longtime industry, he's been in, in the biz and he's a DJ. And a music curator he's like crazy cool so we decided to do a podcast because we got shit to say we're like angry and he's black and gay and I'm white and straight and woo yeah. <laughs> intersectionality <laughs> woo so a word I had to look up but anyway <laughs> anyway so we have a podcast and speaking of we tried to thought of a name and we're both very New York and uh, he wanted to call it The Thing Is and I wanted to call it Not For Nothing but then we came up with I'ma Let You Finish because an homage of came up with the Kanye thing, but also we talk over each other. Anyway, so our <laughs> Instagram we never do that. Yeah, our Instagram is Ama Let You Finish New York. Believe it or not, somebody else said Ama Let You Finish. So I M M A L E T You Finish New York N Y. At Twitter, we're Finish Ama, and we're on Spotify now. Ama yeah. Let You Finish, and it's but with no spaces in between. So Ama Let You Finish. We did our first show about Madonna, me basically ensuring I will never get a Madonna ticket in my life. Oh. And the new, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever, okay? Yeah. Whatever. And our next one, we're just going to, we have a lot, in the United States, as you can imagine, we have lots of things to talk about. But more importantly, the Knicks have just fucking ensured that they're going to have the worst season of all time again. 
So we're both sports fans too. So that's my foray into the professional world of. Just any, just <laughs> kind of anything to, I'm going to let you finish, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to let you finish. Yeah. Is that so? It's just anything to do with like New York music, Cold, intersectionality, New York, New York Knicks, no, it's, Donald it's, Trump. It's just yeah. a, there's a lot going on in the world, obviously. Yeah. But there's a lot going on in culture. It's mm. a very intense. All I mean, I know you guys are going through your shit too. But we're Americans, you know, so it's more important. Mm. And no, I mean, we just have sort of like want to vent and talk, and and we're both music people, and we set up the Spotify thing so we could play music because we obviously can't afford the licensing. Mm. But we're both really super passionate about music Great. and super passionate about the world, and we're both bored out of our fucking mm. minds, and we need an avenue. And standing on the corner and screaming at people does Great. not seem like a good idea. Before we wrap up. I've got a big thank you to Amy's makers because some years back, in fact, it was around the time when you sent us the Amy Winehouse interview, is you sent me an email saying, do you know about this programme called The Wire? Which hadn't come near England. Yes. I instantly hunted uh, down. And it is simply the best thing. Did you I've... understand a word they were saying? Oh, yeah. Really? Well, I tell you what, the great advantage of long-form... TV like that is you can watch it over and over again. You get used you know, you've got, to. I watched series one through five. Because that's a uh, thick act. The Baltimore yeah. accent yeah. is a hard one. And you get your, your ear adjusts. By, so by the, it's the second time I watched it through, all the way through, I was getting pretty yeah, much yeah, everything. The Wire is such a great show that every one of those actors has gone on to... Idris, of course, mm-hmm. has gone on to... <laughs> you, you, sorry, you, you went a little bit kind of limp, limp there. <laughs> Are you okay? He's like every... <laughs> my friend Chris X, who's a brilliant writer, literally like posts pictures of Idris going, damn you, damn you, you know. Yeah. Every one of those actors, no matter what they do, they are still referred to like mm. Omar. Yeah. He has a name, obviously, mm. and he's yeah. done a million things. Yeah. Sure, but, but he'll always be Omar. He'll yeah. always yeah. be Omar. It's such name. a great... I mean, so you sent me this email saying, have you ever heard of this program? It hadn't appeared anywhere in England. So you I broke the wire here. I broke up Tony. I broke up Tony. 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 And I broke the wire. <laughs> you broke up Tony. 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 I did. Oh God. That, that's I think for another podcast. Okay. For another podcast. I'm, I'm not sure we're ready. But for it had nothing story. to do with like. Ew. You know. <laughs> if you're ew. Creative. Did you translate? It was. The, it ew. had nothing to do with like me going. You know, Raphael. You know, who is really good looking. But it was more. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Michael Gonzalez, who's also another brilliant writer, yeah, yeah. questioning. We, we, we have we, we, we have Oh, not. Michael's the best. He's one of my best friends. We love him. Me trying to asking them why a particular song that was on the advance wasn't on the album, and Raphael just kind of going, "Told you that record should have been on the you know, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, he's like, "The group broke up." Oh, so you broke them up. Me and Michael. Okay, you, you're trouble. <laughs> so, you, you know you're no good. Yes. <laughs> I told you you yeah, were trouble. You were just, yes. All right, so Mark, talk us out. Yeah, Sorry, we're gonna baby. we're yeah. gonna go out with the lovely Bobby Womack talking about this album, which he recorded for Atlantic, and then Pickett did the vocals over, uh, <laughs> and his 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 wonderful three word Jerry Wexler impersonation. What a fabulous guest you've been, Amy. You are you are a true I'm star. being overseas. I'm being in England. <laughs> Tell all your friends Tell back all over the pond over my, how no, huge you are People now. like me. They just, you know what it is? <laughs> These kids today running magazines, you know you're in trouble when you pitch an editor of a black music magazine, which will go unnamed, and they go, oh, oh who's Nana Cherry? And I'm like, first off, motherfucker, you could have been Googling it while you were typing. Number one. And number two, please. Yeah. <laughs> and on that <laughs> note, <laughs> on that note, we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye. 
thank you guys. It was really great. Seriously. Thanks for coming Thanks in. For coming in. Bon voyage. Bye. Bye. I know I've done you wrong. When I drove you away from your home. Jerry asked me, I said, why? Well, you know, like, yeah, we love Bobby. We, should, we love to have him. Whatever you want. But they didn't never believe in me as an artist. And so when Piggy called me and said, Bobby, they want me to put my voice in in your tracks. He said, you know, like, I don't want to do that, man. He said, me and you've been a friend of mine. I said, put your voice in my track. I said, what do you mean? I thought they was coming out with the record. He said, no, nah, man, they're trying to tell me to go in the studio and cut. So I said, okay, then. Well, look, man. I said, why don't you go ahead? I said, let me talk to Jerry. I called Jerry. I said, Jerry, uh, when, when is the record coming out? It'll be out very soon, baby. You know, I said, Jerry, I just talked to Wilson, man. I know what's happening. So he said, look, you'll get the writers for it, man. He said, but, man, I just don't like your voice, man. I don't know what it is, man. He said, you know. He said, we don't have no Sam Cooks over here. You sound too Sam Cookish. I said, he said to me. So I said, he said, I just think. He said, I only took you in the first place because Ed Wright was involved. And I didn't want Ed to be putting my records off the list, you know. <laughs> so I said, okay then, man, that's cool. So then picking went down and cut. I've been loving all these songs again. Yeah, and the strange thing is, when, when Wilson Pickett cut them, he used the same inflections that you used. I, I sung them in, in the tape, track for him, yeah. and he sung them word for word, exactly the way I would do them. And that's the way he would cut. And I cut him better than anybody did. And then when he stopped, when I stopped like giving him any songs, that's when he started to that's right. Yeah. Because uh, he didn't have, uh, he had one thing, he had the voice. But you got to have the material. <laughs> you got to have the material, man. Anytime you got to have someone to write for you. Saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was Bobby Womack in conversation with Cliff White in 1976, concluding this week's Rocks Back Pages podcast. Many thanks to special guest Amy Linden. Her podcast, I'ma Let You Finish, all one word, is available on Spotify. The hosts were Barney Hoskins and Mark Pringle, and the producer was Jasper Murison Bowie. You can find thousands of articles, as well as hundreds of full-length audio interviews, at rocksbackpages.com. <laughs> <laughs>